When I began my first call in Indiana, I scheduled a housewarming party at the parsonage. Lined up help from the kitchen committee, bought new furniture, and I made some grocery lists. At the Young at Heart breakfast, I asked the men if it would be appropriate to offer alcohol. Only a few years prior, I had served a congregation that had wine at the council meetings. No joke. I guess that things went pretty smoothly, you know. <laughs> Uh, at the seminary in Chicago, alcohol was present at every social function, every single one. It seemed natural to offer it. The men shook their heads and said, absolutely not. Many members of this Lutheran church, to my surprise, were teetotalers. It reminded me of my Baptist roots. By the way, here's an old joke. What's the difference between Baptists and Lutherans? Lutherans wave to each other at the liquor store. <laughs> I wondered why this was the case in this Lutheran church. And it turned out there wasn't as much of a theological rationale behind their avoidance of alcohol. No one particularly cared what I did, though I left town to, to buy beer or wine to avoid offense just kind of a natural thing to do. And I learned that a beloved pastor from the 1950s was known for his love of beer and cigarettes. No kidding. So there was a much more personal reason for their avoidance of alcohol. Many of them had a family member who had a problem. They were witness to the destruction that alcohol had on their lives, the fissures it made in their families, the utter powerlessness both drinker and family members had. The drinker couldn't stop drinking. The family members couldn't make the drinker stop. It was absolutely devastating. Little wonder they didn't want alcohol at the housewarming. What's left when you have no control over your life? That's the question for two men in today's gospel reading. Neither of these men are addicted in the classical sense, but there's a way of being they both embraced that is detrimental to life, or rather it's a negation of being. First man is a royal official. He's an important man. He's a powerful man. Certainly this power has informed his identity, but he's faced with a situation that he can't fix. For all his power, he is no master of life and death. His son is at death's door. There's nothing he can do about it. The second man is the opposite of the royal official. The man by the pool in Jerusalem. He's the very definition of powerlessness. He's helpless, hopeless, cut off from any sort of community at all. He can't, he, he can't move without help. He can't even ask for help. The only thing he has is a folk belief that if he can only get down into the magic pool first, when the waters are stirred up, he'll be healed. One man's identity, his powerful identity, is destroyed by his son's illness. Another man's identity has been consumed by his own illness. Neither has the power to be.
So what happens when Jesus encounters these two men? The first travels halfway across Galilee to see him, desperate for a shot at life for his son. He finds Jesus and begs. He begs. Jesus responds in a rather strange way, a way that sounds awfully aloof to us. But there's a key part of it. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Unless you all see signs and wonders. Maybe it's less to the man and more to the reader. In any case, the man doesn't really care about that. His son is dying. And Jesus says something even stranger. Go, your son lives. He doesn't go with the man. He doesn't pray. He just declares that his son has life. Sends him on his way. The second man doesn't do anything like that. He doesn't. He can't even move. He's totally resigned to his fate. Even when Jesus comes to him and asks if he wants to be well, he can't say yes. He simply says that there's no one to help him. Out of sheer grace, Jesus, without any faith whatsoever on this man's part, tells him to pick up his mat and walk. Both men receive power that day. One receives the power to believe. He can leave Jesus and return home. That may be more of a miracle than his son getting well, him being able to leave Jesus and believe his word and to go home. Second receives the power not just to walk, but to live again, to be part of a community again. Both receive the power to be. These past couple years, we felt our sense of personal power ebb away. More than ever, it seems as though the world were out of control without anything we can do about it. That any wonder people are acting crazy? With when power, especially personal power and personal choice, are threatened, some people will do anything to get that power back. Or, on the other hand, they may be like the man by the pool, just kind of utterly resigned, hopeless. The power that Jesus gives isn't the power to do whatever we want. It's not that kind of power. But it is power to live different, to be different. We don't have to give up. Nor do we have to try to grasp whatever power we can. The power Jesus gives is the power to live life abundantly. It is the power to be the people God made us to be. It is the power to be people of faith, people whose ultimate trust is in God and not in themselves. When Jesus finds the second man in the temple later, he says something else curious. See, you have been made well. Sin no longer, so that nothing worse happens to you. Jesus isn't saying there's a one-to-one -one connection between the man's former paralysis and his sinfulness. But he is giving him another command, a command like stand up, take your mat, and walk. He's telling him to live a shalom kind of life, a life that is healthy, abundant, eternal.
to life freed from a former way of being. Freed from powerlessness, despair, and to an extent on this side of glory from sin itself. This isn't a life connected to possessions or wealth. It's not that kind of abundance. It's a life mindful that one's whole being is loved and redeemed by God. In our baptism, those old addictive ways of being were drowned. To be sure, the old Adam and Eve in us is a strong swimmer. We live caught between worlds, given the promise and empowerment of the new, while remaining bound to the old. But the important thing is that those old ways of being have been mortally wounded. They will not be forever. Even now, Jesus gives us power to be. To, and this is a word that's almost heretical among some Lutheran pastors I know, to choose, to choose differently. Jesus empowers us to choose life. To choose the life that's already a pure gift. Empowered in the Spirit. Let's strive to put aside everything that addicts us, everything that enslaves us. Those slow habits of suicide we're all bound to. And embrace life in the one who is ready to heal before we ask. Jesus Christ.